It's God's will you can kill us, my goodness. This is a testimony uh, from one of uh, our church leaders over in Mozambique, Pastor Chaka, <clears throat> one of the two countries uh, that we could provide uh, the funds uh, to build a church. And so if you didn't catch it, a while back, uh, Mozambique uh, was in the midst of a war, and many people were killed, including uh, many Christians as well. And uh, Pastor Chaka and his assistant pastor, pastor uh, they nearly lost their lives. Um, many people in Mozambique at this time in the midst of this war, many of them fled to Malawi for safety and protection, like many of the people in Ukraine uh, today. Uh, but for whatever reason, Pastor Chaka chose to stay in Mozambique. And uh, if you caught there, he stayed in the mountains. He lived in the wilderness for 17 years. That, that is a long time. That's longer than most of our kids here today. That's about two-thirds of my life where he lived in the wilderness. And we ask why? Why in the world would he choose to live in the wilderness, to live in the mountains when he could have fled for safety in Malawi? And the reason is because he felt the need, he felt the calling to preach the message of the kingdom. He said it himself in, in that video. He, he felt called that he needed to preach this message of the kingdom. And so his life revolved around this mission of expanding God's kingdom. 100%, 17 years of his life, he could have been safe in a faraway land. But for 17 years, his whole entire life revolved around that gospel message, revolved around preaching it and expanding God's kingdom. What a great example of someone who had courage and boldness to share the gospel message. As he took this mission of expanding God's kingdom of the utmost responsibility and of the utmost care and diligence, it was not something that he just did on the side. It's not like he worked nine to five and then when he got off the shift, he would go and preach the gospel. No, this, this is what he did. This is who he was. He was a gospel sharer of the kingdom of God. He was an evangelizer. He was a disciple maker. And so today, we're going to take a look at uh, three different guys. Pastor Chaka uh, was uh, the first gentleman that uh, we'll take a look at. We're taking a look at three different guys throughout history and seeing how seriously they took this mission of expanding God's kingdom here on earth. And my hope and my plea is that after talking about these three different examples, hopefully you will be inspired. You'll be inspired to take this mission seriously of expanding God's kingdom, as this is not something that we just do. This, this, is, this has to be our identity. It has to be who we are. We are missionaries. We are disciple makers. We are evangelizers. That has to be our identity. That has to be who you are. This is not something that we just do. And so we do this as we conclude, we talk about this as we conclude our series on marching for missions, as we have a mission of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. And today we're talking about fighting our war in foreign territory. 
Thus far, we talked about fighting this war, the spiritual war between uh, light and darkness, good and evil, between God and his followers and the followers of the world and of the devil. And then we fight this war in different locations. We fight this war in our training grounds and the safety of these four walls here. We fight this war at our home bases, at our homes where we live. And we fight this war on the front lines as well with, with our friends and our coworkers, employees, employers, whoever that may be, the people, our, our sphere of influence outside of our family. And today we conclude the series by talking about fighting this war in foreign territory. And similar to the front lines, our main objective in the foreign territory is to expand God's kingdom. So we're dealing with anyone who is not your family, friends, coworkers, et cetera, anybody outside of your immediate sphere of influence. That's what we're defining as fighting this war in our foreign territory. So we're talking about missions taking place outside of Springfield, Ohio. And so throughout modern uh, history, past couple hundred of years, there have been a lot of missionaries, just like Pastor Chaka here, who have spread the gospel message um, away from their homes. And it seems to be a more common practice in these past couple hundred years than it was the thousand years uh, before that, as through technological advancements, it's a lot easier for us to travel from point A to point B and go and spread the gospel message. That's the beauty of these different technologies technological advancements. We have more power. We have more availability than they did 1,000 or 2,000 years ago. And so there's been a, a lot of people in the past couple hundred years who have used this to their advantage. And in the 18th century, there was born a man by the name of William Carey. Does anybody know who William Carey is? All righty, perfect. Well, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about him uh, today. William Carey, he is often viewed as the father of modern missions, as he inspired many people after him to pursue missions outside of their hometown. And so we're going to spend uh, a good chunk of our time this morning just reading a uh, rather short uh, biography all about William Carey and his mission of spreading the gospel message. And my hope in reading about this, my hope in watching the video, and my hope in talking about the next guy uh, that we'll talk about at the end of the service is that you are inspired to mimic their lives. I don't know about you, but like my favorite types of movies are... Uh, uh, those war movies that are so inspiring based off of true stories. And at the end, it gets me going, man, I'm going to join the military. Those are my favorite types of movies. And because I love those inspiring tales. And my hope is that you are inspired in the same sense in listening to these awesome, awesome stories of these incredible heroes of our faith. And that makes you want to go and expand God's kingdom in your life as well. So it's a, it, it, it's a lengthy story. I've never read a lengthy story uh, like this um, during a Sunday morning message. So bear with me. It's about 10 pages here, but it's an incredible story about uh, someone who's uh, regarded as the father of modern missions. And so this is written by a lady uh, who goes by the name Madeline Pena. So it reads, William Carey had incredible perseverance. Despite personal hardships, Carey sparked a missions movement that has carried throughout the line of Christian missionary heroes to disciple makers today. Who is William Carey? Known as the father of modern missions, William Carey was the first missionary to India who served for 41 years translating the entire Bible into Bengali. 
He's also known for being a shoemaker, pastor, founder of the English Baptist Missionary Society, botanist, cultural anthropologist, educator, author, social reformer, and the first to bring the printing press to India. So in 1761, William Carey was born to Edmund and Elizabeth Carey, who were weavers by trade in England. When William was six, his father was appointed the parish clerk and village schoolmaster. William was also the oldest of five children. At a young age, William hungered for historical and scientific knowledge, although he never had any formal education after the age of 12. He turned himself into a productive self-educator and an enthusiastic reader. He delighted in books of travel and adventure and had a special interest with plants so that he crowded his room with various specimens of them. He made frequent excursions into the woods and across the fields, always on the alert to discover and identify a new bird or animal or plant. Even as a young child, he showed determination in completing anything he ever began, such as when he broke his leg after falling out of a tree to study a bird's nest and went to retrieve it a third time with the cast on his leg. However, Carey's health did not permit him to engage in agriculture pursuits. And when he was 14 years old, his father apprenticed him to a shoemaker. He became an honest and skillful workman, and later he himself became a shoemaker, an occupation of which he was never ashamed. At the age of 17, after being exposed to the Bible by John War, a young man who was a co-apprentice in shoemaking, William Carey came to the conclusion that, my heart was hard and proud. Nothing but a change of heart could do me any good. His experience of coming to Christ was similar to that of David Brainerd and Martin Luther, who under conviction saw that the root of their trouble lay in the heart. When John War led him to Christ, he had no idea that he was winning one who would sound the call of God to a sleeping church and add the jewel of India to the diadem of Christ. So after his conversion, William began to study the Bible while he worked on leather shoes. Having a natural gift for learning new languages and eager to know exactly and fully what the scripture said in its original language, he taught himself both Hebrew and Greek. Before he was 31, he was able to read the Bible in seven languages, including Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Italian, and French. William Carey's favorite passage of scripture was Isaiah 54, especially verse 5. Thy Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. This chapter would be a constant encouragement to carry during his many years of ministry, and he was often found singing, praying, or meditating on these precious verses. Having grown reputation for his knowledge of the Bible, William was asked to preach every other Sunday at a Baptist church in 1783 in a nearby village while he continued to support his family through his shoemaking business. A few years later, in 1785, William moved his family to Moulton, England, where he became the local schoolmaster. During his time, he was also uh, asked to preach at a local church where his annual salary was $50. Since this was not enough to support his family, he continued working as a school teacher and a cobbler. Shortly after his conversion and upon becoming a pastor, William read a book called An Account of the Life of the Late Reverend David Brainerd about David Brainerd's missionary work among the Native American tribes in the United States, written by Jonathan Edwards. He also read the journals of James Cook, the explorer which most people in England would consider were merely thrilling stories of adventure. For the next five years, William would begin to devote his spare time to making maps of faraway lands and gathering data on their location, size, population, and religion. Both of these written accounts began to spark something in William, and he became deeply concerned with sharing the gospel with people who did not have any access to a Bible or church. More than once, his students in his school saw their teachers burst 
into tears during a geography lesson as Carrie pointed to a map uh, of the world or to a globe he had made with odd piece of letter and exclaimed, the people living in these areas are pagans. They are lost hundreds of millions of them not knowing the blessed Savior. So in 1789, when he was 28 years old, William Carey began the full-time pastor of Harvey Lane Baptist Church in Leicester, England, where he found the church in a state of division, dishonor, and spiritual infirmity. Due to the worldliness brought in by the members, he prayed and preached fervently, but conversions were impossible in such an atmosphere, and he became heartbroken for those who did not know Christ as their Redeemer. Eventually, in 1790, a year later, Carey proposed that the church membership should be dissolved and that a solemn covenant embodying New Testament faith, life, and discipline be prepared, and that only those accepting this covenant be accepted as members of the newly constituted church. Upon doing this, the church was revived. The fruits of the Spirit could be clearly seen in the lives of believers, and there were many within the congregation that responded to the gospel for the first time with eager hearts. William got to lead his own sisters, then his wife, and many others into the breathtaking experience of redemption. In his zeal for souls, he frequently made preaching trips to surrounding villages and laid the foundations of a number of churches. He quickly became one of the most well-known pastors with the Baptist Association. Throughout his preaching career, William kept reading and rereading Isaiah 54, 5. Thy Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And reflected on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, which Jen uh, just read. Just being the pastor of a local church was not enough for him. At a minister's meeting, Carrie stood up and proposed that the local church should partner with other local churches in the region to send missionaries to Africa and India. Another man by the name of J.C. Ryland exclaimed, sit down, young man, sit down and be still. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting either you or me. Carrie did sit back down, but he cannot be still. He used his influence to provoke people to take the gospel to places where it had never been. He was the first Baptist preacher to believe that the great commission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was a binding command on every generation of Christians. So in 1972, uh, a year later, William Carey published his missionary manifesto and inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. He dealt with one all-absorbing thing, namely the responsibility of the body of Christ to watch out upon its long-neglected worldwide mission. His conviction that the missionary enterprise of the church's highest and holiest endeavor continued to increase as he pictured the desperate condition of the world where Christ was not known and enthroned. In a sermon called the Deathless Sermon in 1792, Carey preached from Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, where he sounded for a divine call to action, which formed his famous quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. I'll say that one again. That's good. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. He was convinced that God was saying to the church, therefore, to every individual Christian, rouse up from your complacency. Find larger canvas, stouter and taller tent poles, stronger tent pegs, catch wider visions, dare bolder programs. Rouse up and go forth to conquer for Christ, even the uttermost parts in the isles of the sea. However, None of his congregation was moved by a sermon. They did not even pause to pray for those who did not have any access to a Bible in their own language. To them, it was just another nice sermon to listen to, but not to be taken too seriously. When Carrie saw the people leaving as usual, he seized one of his friend's hands and exclaimed in an agony of distress, 
Are we not going to do anything? Oh, Fuller, call them back and let's do something in answer to God's call. That moment became a significant moment in the history of Christian missions. Andrew Fuller, Carrie's friend, saw God's heart for the world and joined William in demand for action. At the next minister's meeting, the Particular Baptist Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Amongst the Heathen was founded, which later was called the English Baptist Missionary Society, known as BMS World Mission. Their goal was to raise funds and train missionaries. And so William Carey, along with Andrew Fuller, John Ryland, and John Sutcliffe, became charter members and focused on practical matters such as raising funds and where they would send missionaries. A doctor by the name of John Thomas had been working in India and had come back to England to raise funds and met up with these men. He shared about the great need for the gospel among the people and the opportunities for mission work. Carey caught on to the vision and suggested that he go with Thomas as a first missionary with their new missionary society to set up a missions based in India. The men agreed. At the end of the meeting, William closed with an appeal for persistent prayer, bold planning, and sacrificial giving, stating, what a treasure, what a harvest must await, such as Paul and Elliot and Brainerd, who have given themselves wholly to God's work. What a heaven to see the myriads of the heathen who by their labors have been brought into the knowledge of God. Surely it is worthwhile to lay ourselves out with all our might in promoting Christ's kingdom. I love that, promoting Christ's kingdoms a couple hundred years ago. This was the beginning of missions as we know it today and marks the birth of the modern missionary movement. After several years of working as a shoemaker and serving in pastoral ministry in England, William Carey and his family set sail for India on a Danish ship with Dr. Thomas and a few others in the spring of 1793. After five months of living on stormy seas, I think of my wife, she would not uh, survive five months of a stormy sea, uh, the motion sickness, uh, but during which William diligently studied Bengali, he and his family arrived in Calcutta, India in November of 1793, so when he was 32 years old. Upon arriving, William and the other missionaries who had come with him sought out means of supporting themselves because they had greatly underestimated the cost of living in Calcutta. Funds were rapidly being spent, and they lived in a marshy, malaria-ridden area outside of Calcutta where gangs were also prevalent. Many people were shocked that they could even survive in the conditions in which they lived, not to mention the common threat of tigers and cobras in their region. No thanks. Uh, Eventually, William was offered a job as a floor manager at an indigo factory. Despite the tough times, Carrie's attitude remained resolute. Carrie's first impressions of India put his heart in even more distress over the people's need for a redeemer. He was deeply upset by the Indians' deep-rooted religious natures expressed by the innumerable shimes, the offerings of food and flowers, and the incredible suffering they're willing to endure in their quest for spiritual peace. He was most outraged by the terrible practice of sati. Listen to this. Sati was a traditional funeral custom where if a man died, his body would be burned and his wife or wives would throw themselves onto the burning pyre in order to kill themselves. Sati was practiced for thousands of years in India because women were considered to have no value apart from their husbands. They believed that they had to go to the spirit land to continue serving their husbands after their death. If a woman did not want to take part in the ceremony, she was often forced onto the burning fire to die. That's what William Carey was dealing with. And so William Carey fought against this inhumane practice for more than 35 years until December 1829 when Satie was banned in the entire British Empire, including India. 
William was asked to translate the degree of Satis' abolishment into Bengali, thus serving this tradition from Indian culture. The next seven years of missionary labor were extremely difficult. But in 1799, Carey was joined by two other missionaries, Joshua Marshman and William Ward. And the group became known as the Sarampore Trio. In January 1800, he moved his family to the Danish colony of Sarampore, where missionaries were looked upon more kindly than in those parts of India where the East India Company was hostile towards missionaries. At the end of the year, Carey baptized the first believer, Krishna Pell, who was previously a Hindu. William and his missionary friends rejoiced to see God's faithfulness in the small beginnings. So at Sarampore, William Carey established a missions base with a printing press and published his first translation of the New Testament in Bengali. He and his team also translated the Bible into 44 local languages, developed multiple grammars and dictionaries, and prepared a translation of three volumes of the Hindu epic poem Ramayana. And all their work combined, the trio started 26 churches and 126 schools. Later, they started medical missions, saving banks, a seminary, a girls' school, and a Bengali language newspaper. For William Carey, a full day looked like something like this. Up at 545, reading a chapter in the Hebrew Bible, private addresses to God, family prayers with the Bengali servants, reading Persian till tea, translating scriptures in Hindustani from Sanskrit, teaching at the college from 10 till 2, correcting proof sheets of Bengali, translating of Jeremiah, translating Matthew into Sanskrit, spending one hour with a panda on Telanga, at seven, collecting thoughts for a sermon, preaching at 7.30 to 40 persons, translating Bengali till 11, writing a letter home, reading a chapter from the Greek New Testament, and committing himself to God as he laid down to sleep is a sample of one day's work. Incredible. William's skill and language made it possible for him to become professor of Sanskrit and Bengali at Fort William College, Calcutta. In 1801, at a salary of 500 rupees a month, he devoted his entire salary to the work of spreading the gospel, keeping only a small portion for necessary expenses. As Carey explained, we might have had large possessions, but we have given it all to the mission. Many more Hindus were coming to Christ through the mission base in Sarampore, and the conversion of Hindus to Christianity posed a new question for the missionaries concerning whether it was appropriate for converts to retain their, their caste. In 1802, the daughter of Krishna Pal, the first believer, Asudra, married a Brahmin. This wedding was a public demonstration that the church refused the caste distinction. William Carey also saw it as his duty to help improve the quality of life for the people of India. He felt that he needed to do something to serve the people in a tangible way. One major way was to help create jobs. Carey partnered with English businessmen to establish factories which were responsible for creating thousands of jobs for the locals and transforming society. He also encouraged the use of Indians as missionaries among their own people. In 1818, the mission founded Sarampore College to, to train indigenous ministers for growing the church and to provide education in the arts and sciences to anyone regardless of caste or country. The king of Denmark granted a royal charter in 1827 that made the college a degree-granting institution, the first in Asia. In 1820, Carey funded the Agricultural and uh, Horticultural Society of India, became its president during 1824 to 1826. His goal was to improve the land by encouraging a superior mode of cultivation by using the best method of properly cropping the land and the best rotations of crops. He also wanted to introduce new and useful plants, improve the implements of farming and the use of animal stock, and bringing wastelands into a state of cultivation. Today, it is known as the Agri Horticultural Society of India. Carey's devotedness to missions is stated with the, the Sarampore Compact, which he wrote with the trio, establishing the principles upon which their missionary community would be formed. 
These principles were communal living, financial self-reliance, and training of indigenous ministers. Today, these principles from the basis of modern day missions. Let us then ever be united in prayer at stated seasons, whatever distance may separate us, and let each one of us lay it upon his heart that we will seek to be fervent in spirit, wrestling with God, till he famish these idols and cause the heathen to experience the blessedness that is in Christ. So William's greatest focus was intensely on the work of translating the Bible into local languages and helping people become literate so that they could read God's word. Yet with great work comes great suffering and sacrifice. Throughout his ministry in India, Kerry faced opposition and resistance from businesses and the Indian government. Several of his children died from various diseases at young ages, and his first wife became mentally unstable until her death in 1807. In 1808, William married Charlotte Ramorne, who despite her frail health, was a great encouragement to Kerry because of her delight in the scripture and her desire for the Indians to know the Lord intimately through their heart language. She and Carrie worked together on translating the Bible because she was also fluent in several languages. So in 1812, an unfortunate fire at the mission printing shop destroyed thousands of manuscripts. Carrie and his team had been working for more than 15 years to translate the entire Bible into several dialects as well as translate several other literary projects. He lost years of his life's work. He and his team were able to redo much of the work within the course of seven years, yet much of the previous work was never reattempted. A couple of months later, in 1812, both Adoniram and Ann Judson arrived at the base and were baptized as Baptists by William Carey and William Ward, two other uh, real known uh, well missionaries. However, in 1813, war broke out between America and England, and the Judsons were forced to move to Burma. William and Charlotte were married for 13 years until she passed away in 1821. She was said to have a soul of fire and a shell of pearl. Two years later, in 1823, Carrie married Grace Hughes, who was several years younger than him, but was a devoted helpmate in ministry. Despite these joys and sorrows, William Carrie still pressed on, motivated by desire to see the unreached peoples of India hear the gospel. He quotes, it's my favorite quote, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Let's say that one, one more time. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of of succeeding at things that don't matter. So William Carey passed away peacefully on June 9th, 1834 in Sarampur, India. His reputation has spread across Europe, India, and the United States. He was known as a man with a deep love for God and a deep love for the people of India. During his last illness, Carey said to a friend, you have been saying much about Dr. Carey and his work. After I'm gone, please not, please speak not of Dr. Carey, but rather of my wonderful savior. So for 41 years, Kerry had persisted in his work to capture India for Christ. When he died, there were over 30 missionaries throughout India, 40 native teachers, and approximately 600 church members. And so today, there are hundreds and thousands of followers of Jesus Christ and missionaries in and from India because of the work of William Carey. He says, my real business is to preach the gospel and win lost souls. <sighs> what an incredible, incredible man of faith, man who was born in the United Kingdom and spent the majority of his life spreading the gospel message in India a place at that time that had very, very little exposure to Christianity. So he is truly a hero, 
of our faith, a hero that inspires me and hopefully inspires you to take this mission seriously. So the last gentleman that I just want to talk real briefly about, we won't take as long as we did with William Carey, don't worry. The last gentleman that we'll take a look at this morning who took seriously the mission to expand God's kingdom is Paul the Apostle. The three guys that we've talked about this morning, you probably know the most about Paul. Paul, uh, who wrote about half of the books of the New Testament, he was an apostle of Christ Jesus who took this message of the kingdom all throughout the Middle East, all throughout modern-day Turkey and Greece and some of the minor islands and, and eventually to Rome as well. He, along with a handful of other Christians, were the first missionaries to take this gospel message and spread it throughout the world. And so Paul, what's recorded in the scriptures, Paul uh, went on three different missionary journeys recorded in the scriptures. Some believe that he took another one after what's recorded in the scriptures. But a a lot of different Bibles, they have the different maps of the different missionary journeys uh, that Paul took. If if your Bible has maps in the back, I'm guessing you, you have a map of the different missionary journeys of Paul there as well. But at the end of uh, Paul's third uh, missionary journey, uh, he was preaching. He was arrested at Jerusalem's temple when several Jews who hate him and the gospel message falsely accused him of defiling the temple and teaching others to disobey God. They simply did not like the Christian message that Paul was sharing with others. And so Paul was imprisoned for sharing his Christian beliefs. And so Paul was sent over to Rome where he was to appeal to Caesar. Now, but now, while he was waiting to appeal to Caesar, Paul was put on house arrest for two years. In the midst of these two years, we can read in the book of Acts, the very end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verses 23 to 31, read, when they had pointed a day for him, Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I absolutely love that because Paul, after his conversion, he spent his entire life, his entire life revolved around going places, writing letters, and spreading the gospel message of the kingdom. And when Paul was in prison, when he could not go anywhere, he did not stop his mission. He did not stop his mission. For two whole years, he decided, I can't go out to the people. So he invited the people into his home while he was under house arrest. He spent those two whole years proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The exact reason why he was there to begin with. So Paul, a wonderful, 
wonderful example of what it looks like to take this mission of expanding God's kingdom with of the utmost responsibility. His entire life revolved after conversion, it all revolved around spreading the gospel message. And so hopefully to you, these three incredible, incredible men, Pastor Chaka, who lived 17 years in the wilderness so that he could preach the gospel message, William Carey, who spent the majority of his life 41 years in India so that he could advance the kingdom in India. And then last but certainly not least, Paul the Apostle, who spent his entire life after conversion revolved around this idea of spreading the kingdom message. Oftentimes, I feel like today in the 21st century, our lives as Christians and the church is just something else that we do. We throw it in there with the rest of our schedule. We work nine to five. We spend time with family and friends. We watch TV. We go to our other social clubs and activities. And I ask, where is our time for God? Where is our time that we are expanding God's kingdom? When are we expanding God's kingdom to our friends? When are we expanding God's kingdom to those in a foreign territory? Can I be candid with you guys a bit today? I'm sick and tired of seeing the mission of expanding God's kingdom take a back seat to our families, to our jobs, to sports, to social activities, and anything else that the world provides. These three men, including myself, put us to shame. That their whole lives revolved around spreading the gospel message. One day when Christ comes back, they're going to look at these three gentlemen and Christ is going to tell them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have spread the message of the kingdom. You have spread the message of salvation to those in Mozambique, to those in India, and to those in the Middle East. And I want to be right there. I want to be right there by these three guys. I want to be right there when Jesus looks at me and he tells me, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have taken this mission of expanding God's kingdom with the utmost responsibility and care. And so I come before you guys today with a heavy heart. As Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plenty, it's plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are people out there. If they, if they hear this message that we have they will be receptive to it. The harvest is plentiful. The problem that we experience today is that the laborers are few. There are few people in our world today who take this mission seriously, who take this mission and their purpose and their whole lives revolve around this mission of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. There is a war being fought as we speak. And too many of us, too many in, in, in the church, in America, in the church in general, too many of us are idly sitting by, just living our lives just like the rest of society. And that cannot be. 
That cannot be. There are billions of people who need to hear this message. And so I ask you, I ask you an honest question. I, I, I ask you to self-evaluate yourself. What are you doing to expand God's kingdom here on earth? And if an answer doesn't come like that, something needs to change, and it needs to change now. Because there are people who need to hear this gospel message. People whom God loves so much, and God has given us a responsibility and a job. We are extremely blessed to have this message that we have. We have much power with this message, and with much power comes much responsibility. People's eternal lives are at stake. They're either going to partake in God's coming kingdom, or they're going to die and burn in hell. Can't sugarcoat that. Those are the two options that everybody that you encounter has when Christ comes back to establish God's kingdom. And you have to do everything in your power. Your lives have to revolve around this mission of expanding God's kingdom. And when you do, when you do, when you are a faithful servant, I'm telling you, Christ is going to look at you in your eyes and he's going to tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I want to end today with the powerful words of William Carey. As too often we focus on things that are important, but we need to focus on the mission the mission of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. And so William Carey says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid at succeeding at things that don't matter. Put those words to heart in your life and in your ministry. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for the gospel message that you have entrusted to us as a church here at North Hills, a <laughs> message that one day everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. And Father, I pray that you use us as a church. I pray that you use North Hills as your instrument, as your children, as your servants to expand your kingdom here on earth. And so, Father, I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage of Pastor Chaka, the boldness and the courage of William Carey, and the boldness and courage of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that we can mimic that in our lives and that we can spread your gospel message, the message of your kingdom. Father, we love you. Father, forgive us for when our lives don't revolve around this mission and give us all the tools that we need to ensure that here and out, we are all about you and your work in your coming kingdom. Father, we love you. We cannot wait for the return of your Savior, Jesus Christ, when he's gonna establish your kingdom and we're gonna see you face to face, God. It's in his precious and holy name that we pray, amen.